All right, it's great to be here this evening. My name is Peter, and uh, it's a privilege to be here this evening to share uh, something of God's Word. And uh, today, uh, we're looking, this evening, we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at this, this passage, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Um, and uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. So let's just pray a moment. Huh? Father, we thank you for your living word. We pray, Jesus, touch our hearts tonight. Teach us, show us, lead us as we continue on the journey or as we maybe start a journey with you. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, well, um, as I said, it's, uh, it's lovely to be here tonight and looking at this passage. It may be quite familiar to us. Um, uh, as we look at these few verses from Matthew 21, um, the previous verses, I think, help set the scene. Um, and uh, we read of two blind men. They are sitting on the roadside and they hear a crowd of people. You imagine they're just sat there, they don't know what's going on, completely blind. And a crowd of people pass them by. And they hear that it's Jesus. And they cry out and they shout, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they oh, shut up, be quiet, leave him. And uh, they, shout, they shout out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. So Jesus turns around and he goes up to these, these blind men and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus asked them, and they said, Lord, we want our sight. So Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes, and they received their sight. And this crowd witnessed that incredible miracle of giving these two blind men their sight. What an incredible, miraculous event. And they were following Jesus on this journey, on this dusty road, which climbed up from Jericho, away in the east, uh, at the top, and they reached this, these villages of Bethpage and Bethany. And I think there are some pictures maybe that might come up. Oh, yeah. Um, this is um, a picture. Here you can see. I'll just uh, continue a little bit. They were climbing up, and as they reached the villages of Bethpage and Bethany, uh, there also was the Mount of Olives, and you may remember that is where Gethsemane, Gethsemane, as my granny used to say, is located, and the place where the Jesus um, went with his disciples to pray before his arrest. And in the picture here, that is from the Mount of Olives, looking over the Kidron Valley and over to Jerusalem. And you can see the Dome of the Mount, and the temple would have been there. And now I think it's a graveyard, but that's what they would have seen. In fact, it, it seems to actually it's a bit higher than Jerusalem itself, so very interesting. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. I'd love to go myself. But Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, 750 meters high. Um, and earlier in the narrative, he talks in a kind of a foreshadowing. He talks of this journey to Jerusalem. And in, in, in Matthew, just a, a few verses before, uh, Matthew 16, 21, we read this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and the third day be raised to life. Jesus was coming towards this final destination in his earthly ministry. And Bethany was a staging post. 
a kind of home for home from Jesus. Uh, you might remember it was where Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Jesus had raised from the dead. That's where they lived, in Bethany. And it was also where Jesus was anointed with oil. So these close friends of his and loyal followers, were, 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 that's where their base was. And in fact, the modern name of Bethany, I was just reading up, uh, in Arabic is Al-Azariah, which means Lazarus. Interesting, it's actually the village is still there. I don't know if any of you have been there, but uh, that would be amazing to actually go. So anyway, as the text tells us from reading, uh, from, from Simon's reading from, from chapter 21, it says here that Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead of him, saying, go ahead and you will find a donkey tied up with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and that he will send them right away. And in fact, I don't know if you were here in church this morning, but we had, a very, we had two donkeys in church, didn't we? We actually had two donkeys. If you weren't here, you missed it. It was very exciting. Um, but uh, anyway, I won't go into that now. But can't follow that, I'm afraid. But we can just, you know, this reality of the fact that Jesus rode on these donkeys, this donkey, and uh, it follows the fulfillment that, that is in verse 5. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, and this is a quotation from Zechariah chapter 9. Daughter of Zion means Jerusalem. And it says here, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, of course, donkeys are, 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 are humble, but they're pretty tough animals away. Uh, in a way. But, but here, of course, is the contrast, um, the contrast between the powerful and the weak. As it says in Psalm 118, verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes. It is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes. Isn't that true in our world today? To trust in God is better than to trust in the human leaders of our world. We know that's the reality, isn't it? And uh, this is the reality also for the disciples. Uh, Jesus, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One comes. How does he come? Not on a war chariot, not on Air Force One, not on royal flight, but on a foal of a donkey. And recall also that Jesus at the Last Supper, what did he do? He got a basin of water, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. He told his disciples to wash each other's feet, the lowliest of tasks, and Jesus performed this task, the task of a servant. Uh, the servant theme is one of the key themes in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. Um, there are four servant songs. In one breath they talk of Israel, the holy nation, but then it talks of the Messiah to come. Uh, and this was some 700 years before Jesus was born, looking forward, prophesying what was going to happen. And uh, in Isaiah 52, 13 to 15, it says this. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, his form marred beyond human likeness. You know, on the cross, he was so brutally uh, damaged. But he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. 
Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Incredible. But also he will sprinkle many nations. And this talks of the cleansing power of the gospel at work in the nations today. The church is growing in our world. Sometimes locally it seems tough in the UK, but the church is growing in the world. And this is the promise that Jesus, um, the, the healing, the touch of Jesus would touch many nations. So then as we continue just on this journey up to Jerusalem, the disciples went. They did as Jesus had said, and they placed their cloaks on the donkey. Jesus sat on the colt, and it tells us how people spread their cloaks on the ground. Again, we saw this this morning. And in fact, this is a little echo from one of the kings of Israel, Jehu. When he became king, the people spread their cloaks on the ground for him to walk on. You imagine your most expensive coat or precious cloak, and you put it on the ground for someone to walk on. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, it's actually, what is the most important? This person is so important. We want to put these cloaks on the ground for him to walk on. And the crowd shouted. Interestingly, this account of Jesus' triumphant entry to Jerusalem features in all the four Gospels. It's all in all four. And it, it's so important. In John's account, he writes, the next day, the great crowd, this was a lot of people, that had come for the feast because there was a big celebration in Jerusalem. They heard that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And palms are symbols of joy and trumpet, triumph. So it was like a spontaneous outpouring of praise and understanding the beginning to, it was, the understanding was beginning to dawn that this Jesus, this Jesus, the, the things they'd seen him do, that, that he was remarkable. Somehow the answer to all their hopes and dreams came in the person of Jesus. The people began to shout words of worship, proclamation from the Psalms. And from the, the, the Hebrew word, I think it's Hoshiana, it's an appeal for help. Please save us. And again from Psalm 118, it says, O Lord, save us. Hosanna to the son of David, they cried. Again, son of David, the name the blind men just before had used the same one, son of David, Jesus, son of David. Um, the Jewish title again for the Messiah, the anointed one, descendant of King David. And the genealogy of Jesus, we know, um, the son of David, son of Abraham. When we read the beginning of Matthew's gospel, it's got this you know, long genealogy of all his parents, Jesus' parents, and going all the way back up to Abraham. And, and there it says that, um, you know, he was the son of Abraham, the son of King David, all the generations to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So they shouted, Hosanna, God saves, God is our saviour. And they saw that Jesus was the saviour. As I was praying a bit before this, uh, preparing this message, I just thought, wow, you know, well, what is one key thing that I should be thinking about? What is one key message that you want to communicate this evening. And from Acts 4, verse 12, is this verse. It tells us, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Just say that again. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. The message translations puts it slightly different, the same meaning. Salvation comes no other way. 
No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. Let me say it again. Salvation comes no other way, no other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. What, what an incredible message that is, isn't it, really? Just a remarkable message. The name of Jesus. God's plan for the salvation of the world is rooted in Jesus, the son of David. So what does he save us from? Well, during Ramadan, because we used to live in a Muslim country, every year I get a little booklet, I show one of two, and it, every, 30 days, every day I pray for a different, um, you know, got different countries, I'm a bit behind, but if you want to, to take one of these, I've got a couple of spare ones. But I was reading about, um, there's a very good podcast, actually, I was hearing about one particular person, and I heard the story of one Muslim who was lost. He was lost, his journey of life, he was completely lost. His name was Rahman, his name is Rahman. And he's a member of a Muslim tribe in northern Nigeria, sorry, northern Ghana. Ghana is a mainly Christian country, apparently, but in the north, there are quite a lot of Muslims. And um, his father was a devout Muslim. He had four wives as they practiced polygamy in that culture. And his mother was a traditionist, an ancestor worshipper. And Rahman, with a group of friends, decided one evening that they would, there were some foreigners there. They knew there was a foreign compound. They thought, well, actually, Life's a bit hard, let's nip over the wall and, and see what we can grab out of the house. So they, they actually, there's a group of about 10 of them, they went over the wall into this, this, and it turned out it was a Korean missionary's house. And they went over the wall and they were all ready to try and break in one of the windows. Well, at the front door, the Korean missionary was standing there and, and he said, hey, come on. He called them out in their language. He'd been learning the local language. He called them out, come over here. And they thought, you know, they kind of like, whatever, you know, they, they just climbed up, they all dropped down, and this man's calling them to come. And he said, come and have some papaya, I've got this papaya here from the trees, I'll be collecting them. And, um, and so they were a bit shocked at this, and, and, and he began to talk with them, they, you know, some, one spoke some English, and basically it turned out that one of the boys was very interested in martial arts, and this Korean was a taekwondo instructor. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you come along, we'll do some taekwondo. So he ended up by doing taekwondo and teaching. He said they came to his, you know, maybe I don't know if there's a special room for it or whatever, but they came to his compound and they did taekwondo for about six months. And uh, every week they would go there and they would do their taekwondo and off they'd go and thought it was great. And he never mentioned faith at all. And then one day he said to them, you know, I noticed that, you know, you go off to pray, don't you? You know, you like to pray a lot. Oh, yes, we like to go to do our prayer. We go to the mosque at the, the namaz or the, you know. And he said, well, tell me, I, I just don't know very much about your faith. Could you, could we do a discussion about it? I'd love to find out more. I mean, I, I'm actually, I do have a faith myself, but I thought maybe we could compare, you know, I've got a Bible, if you brought a Quran, we could actually read together and compare. So, oh, great, okay, we'll do that. So they, what they did was they did the taekwondo, and then afterwards they had a kind of a Bible Quran study. And these boys thought, this is great, you know, we're going to, and they probably told the lo local Muslim leader, you know, let's say we can make him a Muslim, this guy, he's so interested, you know, we can really get this guy. So they were reading together, and Rahman found that it was interesting because, you know, they would argue each time, they would discuss each time, and, and the Korean missionary didn't say very much. Um, but um, what he began to find was that this book began to somehow speak to him. He, he, he began to warm to it because when they were doing the Quran, 
when they had the Quranic stories in the mosque, the, 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 the leader would have to explain everything in the Arabic, what it meant, because they didn't understand it. But when he read the Bible, it had context and meaning, and it began to touch him in rather a special way. And, um, you know, this friendship grew with this uh, Korean um, missionary, um, and as... Uh, and as they went on for some time doing this taekwondo and the, the Quran Bible study, then one day the, um, the, 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 the Korean said to them, Do you know, I've got a question for you guys. He said this, if you were to die tonight, would you be sure of going to heaven? That was his question. If you were to die tonight, would you be sure of going to heaven? I thought, wow, you know, that is just crazy. How could we be sure of going to heaven? We've got to say so many prayers. And, you know, he was saying that actually, you know, Muslims are, are driven to religion through fear of hell. He says, you know, they're driven to, 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 to Islam through fear of hell. And um, anyway, basically, for Rahman, he decided, like, he, this question was gnawing up, up inside him. And he decided to go back to the Korean missionary. He said, look, can I talk with you one-to-one? -one? And, and he said, like, you know, uh, to the Korean, are you sure that you're going? He said, yes, I'm sure. So how can you be sure? I said, well, well let, me, let me explain, let me tell you. And um, basically, they did some studies, and Raman just was began to be touched. He read John's Gospel, John 14, 6. He was one verse he quoted, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he began to see how much he was forgiven, how much he was accepted by God. And so in Islam, he just did not know if he was ever forgiven. forgiven. It was like it's up to God, I just do not know it. But in Christ, he learned that he could have that assurance and conviction that his salvation was certain. And he decided to become a Christian. And this was a huge step for him. Um, and he went to tell one of the other boys. He said, look, I've got, you know, don't tell anybody else this, but I want to tell you something. Um, you know all our meetings, we've been going to this taekwondo, yeah, yeah, because there were, there were 10 boys. And he said, I've actually become a Christian. And the other guy, <laughs> the other guy laughed. So what, what? I've done the same. And he had been on his own, the two of them, and in the end, five of those boys became Christians. And they recognized in the journey of life that actually there was a way where sins could be forgiven, where we could have hope of eternal life. We could have freedom from sin, freedom from anxiety, freedom from despair. And uh, they found that Jesus is the one that leads them and, and the one that they can be freed from anything that the enemy throws at, at them or us. And it's the same for us, isn't it? With anything that Satan might try and throw at us, the, the hopelessness, the despair of our world, the addictions that even the ones that Satan says you can't be saved from that one, that's one you can't. That's a lie. In Christ we can be saved from any of these things. And Rama's testimony reminds us that, that Jesus promises us forgiveness, salvation from our sins. As Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, to the cross, the resurrection, and, and, and you know, we read a revelation that Jesus is sat on the right hand in heaven, uh, and we, re we were singing earlier, weren't we, one of those songs, I fall at, the, at your throne, I fall at the cross, I fall at the foot of the cross. And that's what we can do, isn't it? We can just come and fall at the foot of the cross and Jesus 
will forgive us and accept us, whoever we are, whatever we've done. So I just encourage you tonight just to, to do that again. We need to do it every day. But if you haven't done that before, I'd so encourage you to, to do just that, to come to Jesus, to come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, you have taken all my sin on your shoulder and I can have a promise of salvation because I believe that you do save me. You save me from everything and you promise eternal life. Thanks for listening. Let's just, um, let's just sit, quiet, sit quietly for a moment. Just absorb what the Lord might be saying tonight. Mm. Mm. If there's anything in your heart that you think the, you'd love the Lord to touch you in, to work in, if there's something you're concerned about that seems to be a barrier between you and God, God can work through his son Jesus, through the blood on the cross to save you, save me. Amen.